do pray tonight is um, we just take a minute out and we look at these events once again, reminded that it's all according to Scripture. And Lord, um, as so much has happened over the last couple of weeks, and um, as uh, all of a sudden our attention has turned from what's going overseas to, to what's going on here in our own community, and, and it needs to because, Lord, we still have people that are hurting, and we have people that um, have lost their homes. And, and Lord, I thank you for all those who are helping in any way that they can in so many different avenues. But, Lord, we do want to lift up those who have lost so much and um, possessions and homes and, and, um, and been displaced. And, Lord, we just pray for comfort and provision. And, Lord, that we would just continue to um, be ones to encourage um, them and, and be a light to them in any way that we can and, uh, and to uh, help in any way that we can. That might mean praying for them or if any practical ways. And I know there's a group planning on going out Saturday and helping out in, in some restoring and, and um, recovery and, and uh, cleaning up. And, Lord, we just uh, today just pray for them that you bless them. And I know that there are others that are doing other things um, all during the week. So we thank you for the opportunity for us to be able to uh, shine light to others and be a testimony of love and compassion that you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that tonight, that as we study your word right now, that we would be attentive, and Lord, that we desire to have your word be placed in our hearts as we make application and stir our hearts, Lord. And Wednesday nights, we can be tired and and a little bit drowsy, and so Lord, awaken us and uh, help us to to just be able to um, take in what it is that your word is saying and be attentive uh, to the things that you want to place into our, our ears and into our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so we left off last time, of course, seeing Asa, who is the great-grandson of Solomon, that he takes the throne. And Asa, as we saw in chapter 14, that he was one that did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord. And, and I want to remind you that those two things do go together because we can do good things, but are we doing it in the right way, in a way that pleases the Lord? So Asa was one that was doing those things that were good, but also right in the sight of the Lord. And he was one that had removed the idol worship out of Judah that had been there. And he began to restore true worship uh, in the land once again. And we stopped at that point, and we were talking about, and I think it's worth reiterating, that sometimes that people will say to you and to me, or sometimes we'll come to that point in our lives where we say, Lord, I want to get closer to you. I, I just want to restore that intimacy and that closeness and that, lo- that love that I once had for you. And oftentimes there are things that need to be removed for you before there's restoration. Perhaps there's sin. Perhaps there's an attitude of a heart that isn't right. Perhaps there is uh, carnality that is taken place and oftentimes what we need to do is go to the Lord and Lord search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me as David would pray and lead me to the way everlasting Lord is there anything in my life that is compromising that is not right with you that is sin so I may remove that and then also that I may be able to be restored in a closer intimate fellowship with you so those are the things that we talked about with Asa as he's doing this um, reforms in the land. And Asa, of course, he was one that depended upon the Lord. He had a loyal heart towards the Lord, as the scripture says. 
And he was faced early in his reign with a million-man army coming against him from Ethiopia. And what he did is he cried out to the Lord. And you recall, as he cried out to the Lord, he said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against the multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So we see here that as Asa cries out, he remembers the power of God, that God can work in any situation, and that includes a million-man army coming against us. And we can't prevail against them, but Lord, you can. And so, Lord, we call on you for you to rescue us, and we're going to trust in you, but also Asa said we want to rest in you. And I know that I have brought this point out to some of you, even in the last couple of weeks and in the last uh, you know, week especially, as some of you are going through some difficulties and hard times and challenges and the circumstances that you're facing. But the Lord, he not only wants you to trust in him, but he wants you to rest in him as well. You see, oftentimes when I go through a, a challenging time or uh, there's, uh, you know, what seems like a difficulty that surrounds me and I can cry out to the Lord and, and I trust in the Lord, but I'm not having rest. You see, I'm still anxious. I'm still upset. I'm still wondering, Lord, how is this going to work? And Asa was one that trusted in the Lord as he cried out to the Lord, but also he rested in him. And that rest means just that assurance, that confidence that, Lord, you're working in my life and in my situation. So thank you, Lord. And I am just have that assurance that I can stand on your promises and that you're going to work in my life. So Asa, he's a good king here. He loves the Lord. And the reforms that Asa or mentioned in chapter 15 and there was no war chapter 15 ends saying uh, until the 35th year of the reign of Asa so now that there's been 35 years of rest we know that people have been coming from Israel to 10 northern tribes remember at this time in their history that the nation is divided the 10 northern tribes called the house of Israel and all the kings up there were idol worshipers and then the house of Judah down south and here is Asa that he is ruling and so we read in chapter 16 as we pick up our text tonight that in the 36th year of the reign of Asa Asa, king of Israel that is the ten northern tribes came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa king of Judah so remember as the people are coming from Israel up north down to Judah um, they're coming to the house of Judah because they see that Asa is being blessed the land is being blessed God is is blessing them because of the reforms they committed themselves to the Lord and what my hope and prayer for you and for your family is that as you follow after the Lord and as you're committed to the Lord that it will just have this attraction to people. It won't to everyone, but there are going to be those who are going to see the reality of Jesus Christ in your life and in your heart, and may it draw them to you. Hey, I can see they're being blessed, and they have real peace, and they live in real wisdom, and and they have assurance of of God's love, and, and they have something that I want. So people are going to be watching you, and that's what the people of Israel were doing. They were seeing what was going on in Judah. They're coming down. So the king of Israel, Baasa, he sees that. He doesn't like it. So what he does is he builds uh, this fort. He, he begins to put this blockade, if you would, uh, there just north of Jerusalem. It's only about five, ten miles north of Jerusalem at this time. 
And that would do a couple things. As it mentions in the text, uh, there would be no one that could no longer come uh, to Judah from the north, and so it would stop that. But also it, it would stop important trade uh, that would take place um, between Israel or Judah, or it was an important trade route as well. So it was really an act of war. And this, as we read it, it doesn't seem as serious as perhaps a million-man army coming at you that he faced early in his reign. But here is Asa. For 35 years, he's had rest in the land. And all of a sudden, this difficulty comes up. And I want to remind you of something. That just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you won't go through trials or difficulties. There are some that will try to get you to believe that if you have enough faith or, you know, if you're just strong enough that you won't have any trials in your life. Uh, Jesus said that you will have tribulation. He didn't say that you might have tribulation. He said that it rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world where there is sin and sorrow and there is sickness. And I think all of us in this room, we know that we will go through hardships and and trials and difficult circumstances to different degrees in our lives. And we may have long periods of rest, but eventually we know that that difficulty is going to come our way. And Asa, after 35 years of rest, all of a sudden this challenge comes his way. As Baasa, he, he is, you know, making this blockade. He's cutting off trade uh, that is to take place and, and uh, the routes that was important for Judah. And it's serious. Um, and he is going to come up with this plan as we continue reading. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasa, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So he comes up with this plan. Now, remember that, that Asa, in the previous chapter, as, as verse 18 says, that he would bring uh, into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, all that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. So this gold, this silver, the utensils, it was brought into the house of the Lord, in the treasuries of the Lord. It was dedicated to the Lord. And here is this plan. This plan is, he says, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. Here's Baasa. He's north of me. He's got this blockade. It's an act of war. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of that gold and silver and I'm going to pay off the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, uh, that is north of Israel. And I'm going to have him attack Israel from the north up there. And when Baasa uh, sees that the, the king of Syria is attacking him, then he's going to have to leave Ramah and he's going to have to deal with this war. It seemed like a brilliant plan. As Asa is one that is very resourceful, is a very smart individual. He has matured. He's been king for 35 years, and he's thinking, I can solve this. Here's a plan I can come up with. But there was a problem with that plan as we continue reading. In verse 4, before we see the problem, Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked I, John, and Dan, and Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Baasa heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. 
Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones in the timber of Ramah, which Baasa had used for building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. So we see that Ben-Hadad took the money. He attacks from the north. And so Baasa had to leave Ramah. He goes up to fight this, this new front that is up north, and that leaves Ramah all by itself, isolated. So what the king of Judah does, what Asa does, is he goes and he tears down the, the fortified things and he builds a couple of towns that are mentioned here in the text in verse 6. Uh, the plan was a good plan. It was a very successful plan in his eyes and perhaps in the world's eyes. But let's take a look and see what God thought about it, verse 7. And at that time, uh, Hand. Anai, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and Lubin not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. In verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. So what happens here is this word comes through the prophet, through the seer. You sought the king of Syria. And here is the problem. It was a brilliant plan in the world's eyes. It would work. I'm sure Asa thought, well, this you know, is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to simply pay off the king of Syria. He's going to attack from the north, and all my problems are going to be solved. And it was, it was something that worked as he planned it out. And here the seer comes and he says, Asa, why didn't you seek the Lord on this? The Ethiopians was huge and you relied on the Lord, but not now. Now, why would Asa, who is loyal to the Lord, why would he do this? Why would he take those things that were dedicated to the Lord, those things that were consecrated unto the Lord for the use of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord, why would he take those things and pay off the pagan king of Syria? Ben-Hadad is not a believer. He was bad news. He, he was one that was an idol worshiper. And here's Asa, this king, that all these years, for 35 years, has shown loyalty to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he comes up with his own plan, and he takes out the gold and silver that was dedicated to the Lord and pays off the king of Syria. Well, we don't know exactly his heart, except that his heart right now, I believe, after all those years, he's becoming self-reliant. He's becoming prideful. And that is something that you and I need to always guard against, especially those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a number of years. You see, what can happen is, is we can think, well, you know what? I, I'm resourceful. I am smart. I am together. I have resources. I can figure this out to get out of this problem or to get out of this difficulty. And you see, sometimes our greatest strengths, as I mentioned last week, can be our greatest weaknesses. Because what happens is there's an area of our life that we're not giving it to the Lord. Lord, I got this covered. I'll trust you in other areas. 
I'll trust you in other things. But this area of my life, maybe it might be your marriage. It might be in, you know, relationships of some sort, in your job, in your business, in your ministry. That, Lord, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, I've had lots of years of success, and, and I know how to figure out this problem, and we don't seek the Lord. And pretty soon we begin to fail in doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. Asa, for all these years, as the scripture records, you did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord, but not this time. Asa, you're becoming self-reliant. You came up with the plan. You didn't seek the Lord. And see, we can think, well, Lord, I don't need you on this. You kind of just step out of this and I'll take care of it. And that's a dangerous place to be. You see, David, as we were talking about David in First Chronicles, you remember that David, when he was at the height of his power and uh, defeating his enemies all around, he goes to war against the Ammonites, and he defeats the Ammonites and, and the Syrians, and some of the Ammonites run into Rabbah, and, and they hide there, and winter comes. So Joab, his commander, and David go back to Jerusalem. And then in the springtime, as 2 Samuel account tells us, when kings go out to war, David didn't, did he? He stayed behind. Joab went to war to to fight against and and mop up this this battle that had ended in the fall. Now it's spring, and so he goes, and he's going to utterly you know, defeat the Ammonites that are there in Rabbah. And David says, you know what? I don't need to do this. I'm about 50 years old. I've been king for uh, a number of years. I defeated most of my enemies. I got great power, prestige. I got a huge army, and he got complacent, and he got sloppy, and then he sinned. Because he should have been out in the fields with his men. He stayed behind, and that's where he saw Bathsheba. Listen, we've got to be careful. You don't get complacent and self-reliance and prideful to where you're not giving every area of your life to the Lord. And all of us, we need to take heed in this because our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness. We think that we're strong in our own eyes, in our own understanding, in our own resources, in our own strength. But if we don't fully surrender everything to the Lord, then we become weak and we can fail. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. And you see, the enemy studies us. Have you considered my servant Job, the Lord said to Satan? Satan said, yes. I've studied him. I've considered him. That word in Hebrew means that I've studied him like a a general would study the enemy to see how he can defeat him and come at him. And the enemy is looking for any way to where we're becoming self-reliance. Aha, there's a weakness that is there. So I can get a foothold into that individual's marriage, into their business, into whatever it might be, even their ministry. So Asa failed. And Asa, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards me? The eyes go to and fro, and he's looking for men and women whose hearts are loyal. What does it mean, hearts are loyal? That that my heart, Lord, has a desire to be surrendered to you. Just as we sang here tonight, I surrender all. I surrender all to you and desiring to please you in what I do and doing what is right in your eyes, Lord, and a total dependency on the Lord. And you see, the Lord can do a whole lot more than we could ever do in our own strength, our own understanding. So Asa here, 
after all these years of having rest in the land, and all of a sudden this difficulty comes, and Asa says, I'll take care of it, my own plan. And the Lord sends the seer to rebuke him. And he's angry with this seer. Again, it shows that he has a hardness of heart. It, he, he's prideful. You see, that's what pride does. It leads to a hardness of heart. One of the things that I pray for us, and it's something that we have to humble our hearts in, is when we have a brother or sister that comes to us and brings us correction, giving us the word of the Lord. We need to be humble enough to be able to, to receive it and consider it as they come, desiring for, for us to, to be corrected or instructed in where we're missing it, bringing the word of the Lord to you. And, and that's what we're to do for one another and encouraging and desiring for there to be that correction so we can, you know, just continue on with that close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ and walking in the ways of the Lord. I appreciate brothers and sisters that say, hey, you're missing it here. Here's the word of the Lord. Consider this. And I never want to be prideful to where, well, I've been in 22 years of ministry. I don't need to listen to you. I want to be careful in that area. And I want to be able to receive what God has for me, even if it's, you know, correction or whether, you know, it's, it's rebuke or whatever it might be. Um, and we need to humble ourselves. And Asa wasn't. He was angry. Threw him in, in prison, and then he's oppressing some of the people. Uh, he just uh, doesn't have a right heart right now. And verse 11, note of the acts of Asa, first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. And then we end the chapter as we read in verse 14. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So we see the death of Asa. He gets diseased in his feet, and it says that he didn't seek the Lord, he sought the physicians. Now, the scriptures here is not telling us that when you're sick, you can't go to a doctor. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here, what's being implied here very clearly, is Asa's heart wasn't right with the Lord. He wasn't going to seek the Lord at all. He just was going to ignore the Lord. I'm just going to see the physician. So it's telling us about the condition of his heart. And he gets diseased in his feet, and he ends up dying, and his life comes to a tragic end. One who started out very well, but ended very tragically. I'll tell you one way in which you can be defeated. And that is if you become self-reliance. One way that you can be defeated as he was diseased in his feet, I'm wondering if you're with me. One way that you can become defeated spiritually is, Lord, I'm going to be self-reliant. You become prideful, and you're no longer seeking the Lord. May we seek the Lord continually, constantly, in every area of our lives, every day of our lives. Amen? So here is Asa. He, he's not seeking the Lord. The death of Asa is recorded. And now we're going to read about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, his son, in chapter 17, reigned in this place and strengthened himself against Israel. As we begin to read about Jehoshaphat, he's the son of Asa. 
And um, he is one that strengthened himself against Israel. How did he do that? Well, verse 2, And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the cities of Ephraim are actually up north where the ten northern tribes would be. And now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So Jehoshaphat here, as he becomes the king, he's a good king. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, as we see, because he walked in um, the former ways of his father David. He didn't seek the Baals. In other words, David, when the other kings of Judah are compared to David, they're compared to David because David was a man after God's own heart. What does it mean by that? It means that David never worshipped idols. That's one thing that you never see David. He never bowed the knee to an idol. And so here's Jehoshaphat. He's being true to the Lord. He's not seeking the Baals. Now up north here at this time, what we see is that it is Ahab who is the king of the ten northern tribes. And when you go back to First Kings and you read about Ahab, he was really bad news. He was one that plunged the nation deep, deep into Baal worship. So here's Jehoshaphat. He hasn't given in to Baal worship. He's walked in the ways of David. The Lord is with him, and the Lord um, was with him, and he was blessed. As verse 4, he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel. In other words, um, he was a good king because he sought God. And he walked in his commandments, and then he would strengthen himself against Israel. In other words, what he's doing is he's protecting the nation as he builds fortified cities, but also we're going to see that he strengthens himself against Israel in a more important way that we're going to see here in a few verses, and that is that he is going to strengthen the nation spiritually, and that's where their true strength comes from. You see, the way that you and I um, can just really experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us. Because remember Jesus said that I came to give you life and life abundantly. You see, people in the world are looking for that blessed life, that abundant life. Uh, and when Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life, he desires to give you a life with real purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction and blessing and peace and rest and strength. He desires to be your, your refuge and, and to be your protector, to be your provider. That's all part of that abundant life that the Lord has for us. And it comes as we seek him and as we walk in his commandments. If you're seeking him and as you're walking in his ways, you're going to be strengthened in the Lord. That's the result of it. And that's what Jehoshaphat, that was happening to him. And so here's Jehoshaphat. He knew that he was in danger of those other nations, not just Israel up north, uh, but more uh, those nations on the east side that we're going to see that Jehoshaphat eventually is going to end up fighting. So he fortifies the city. You and I, what we are to do, because we're in this spiritual battle, aren't we? That we are told that we are to put on the whole armor of God. But here he is as he's doing well. In verse 5, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord, 
Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Uh, it's interesting here, a couple things. God blesses Jehoshaphat as he removes the high places and wooden images. Uh, he, he removed those places of not only false worship, but as I've spoken to you many times, that those high places, those places uh, where the wooden images were, um, they were also places of temptation. Because sometimes some of the good kings of Judah, they came along, they got rid of the idols, but they didn't get rid of the high places. And that it was a place of temptation for people to go back and sin and get involved in idol worship once again. And I've applied you know, this to us in our lives, that get rid of the high places in your life. Get rid of those things that will cause sin and carnality in your life. And I just want to encourage you, for those of you who have done that, the world may come along and begin to make fun of you and laugh at you and why are you doing this? Why do, have you taken these precautions in your home? Why don't you have cable TV? Why don't you have the internet? Why don't you have these things? Because you've chosen, I don't want those high places in my life and in my home. And I just want to say that you have great courage when you do that. And I want to say that God's going to bless you if that's your conviction. Don't let the world talk you out of those things that you say, that hey, you know what, I'm getting this rid of this high place. Maybe it's certain hangouts or whatever it might mean for you. It takes great courage today to say, this is what we're going to do in our home to honor the Lord. And we're going to remove those things so that we don't be tempted or we don't have these things coming into our home that will hurt us spiritually. So I want to encourage you, for those of you who take those steps, and maybe, you know, uh, everybody else has all these other things. And they may look at you as being weird or strange or make fun of you, but you stay strong in the Lord, and you'll see that the Lord will bless you for your decision that you've made. So here is um, him taking away these, these high places. In verse 7, In the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael and uh, Obadiah and Zechariah and Nathaniel and uh, Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And verse 8, what he does as he's sending these guys, he's sending the Levites that are mentioned there in verse 8 and the priests that go out. Verse 9 tells us they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. This is really where the strength of, of the nation was coming. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord fell on, uh, fell on, that is, on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. He fortified the cities militarily, you know, uh, physically, structurally. But more importantly, he would do something unique as he sent the Levites and the priests to teach the people, to teach the Lord. And one of the things that, that verse 6 here says that I want to go back to, it says that his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Can I ask you this? Really, honestly, in your heart, ask yourself, as I desire to walk in the Lord, or if you know I'm told to, because we're called to holiness, do you delight in walking in his ways? Do you delight in walking in his ways? Do you say in your heart that, Lord, I want to walk in your ways because of my love for you and my devotion for you? 
I pray and hope that that is our response, every single one of us, that none of us, that as we continue to grow in the word of the Lord and we're learning the commandments and the instructions and the blessings, you know, and the principles of the Lord, that we don't say, oh, Lord, I'm not going to do this. You know, you're just a killjoy trying to make my life boring. I always wonder, and, and you know, once in a great while I'll, I'll have somebody, because somebody a month or so ago, I, I saw them, and they said, you know, Christianity is kind of boring. I'm thinking, boring? Come hang out with us for a little bit. You're going to find that it's not boring at all, that the Lord is doing exciting things. Serve him, walk with him, and you'll find that really that the Lord's going to bless you and there's fulfillment and real purpose. But do you have a desire to walk in his ways really honestly? That it isn't, Lord, you know, as First John says, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And every commandment that God gives to us is an expression of his love to us, and it's not burdensome. Desire to walk in his ways, in your heart, and knowing that you'll be strengthened in the Lord like Jehoshaphat was. So they're teaching the book of the law. Kind of keep that in mind right now because later on when um, Manasseh becomes the king, Manasseh becomes the king and he dies and then his son becomes king for a short time. And then the last of the good kings in Judah before they go off into captivity, they would clean up the temple and there in a corner they found the book of the law. They didn't even know what it was. They blow the dust off of it and they bring it to Josiah, and they read it, and Josiah was quickened in his heart. I mean, it was like all the Bibles were gone out of the land at that time. That's how deep into idol worship and false worship they had fallen. Here at this time, we see that the book of the law was going throughout the cities of Judah, and they taught the people, and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms. And The fear of the Lord is a reverence and a respect for God. And so they didn't make war against Jehoshaphat, and also some of the Philistines, verse 11 tells us, brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tributes. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. And so the Philistines are mentioned here. It's one of the few uh, or the last times that we really hear about the Philistines. Remember the Philistines, how strong they were during the days of Saul when he was king? And Saul was so busy, so full of envy and hatred towards David. God had rejected Saul. And Saul, um, uh, he knew that God's hand was on David. And David was being pursued and chased by Saul in the wilderness. And Saul was so much focused on, i got to get David, i got to kill David, that he neglected the nation spiritually and militarily. And the Philistines became very strong. So David was left when he ended up becoming king. Much of his battles was against the Philistines. So the Philistines are around, but they're not nearly as powerful as they were before because of David. And they bring tribute here, as we read, to Jehoshaphat, as the other uh, of the other nations uh, do as well. So verse 12, Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. 
And these are their numbers according to their father's houses. And so you, you go through verses 14 through 19. Um, you have uh, these captains that are mentioned here in the numbers of soldiers. And you see how powerful that his army was. He has, um, you know, uh, these tributes that are given to him. Um, we see that um, he is strengthened militarily as you go through these numbers. But I want to just highlight verse 16, because I'm not going to go through all these names that are mentioned here. But next to him was Amesiah, the son of uh, Zechariah, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. He willingly would sacrifice himself to the Lord. In other words, he was one as he willingly offered himself to the Lord. He was one that said, Lord, here I am, all of me. And I'm doing it willingly. I'm doing it freely. And may that be our hearts. Lord, I want to offer myself, as Paul said in the book of Romans, that we are to be a living sacrifice for him because of the mercies of God. He's been so good to us. He is so wonderful. He has blessed us. He saved us. He's forgiven us. He loves us. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So may we be a living sacrifice unto him, just willingly and freely. Lord, I want to be devoted to you, and I want to walk with you, and I want to serve you with my life. I want to give back to you. So here Jehoshaphat is doing well in chapter 18. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he aligned himself with Ahab. So it's interesting that the Bible is very, very honest about, you know, these kings. Very honest about Asa, who all these years he did well, and he had a loyal heart towards the Lord. And then at the end, he becomes prideful and self-reliance and makes his own plan. He he gives the things of the Lord to a pagan king. He's rebuked. He's um, throwing the seer into uh, prison. He's being abusive to the people. And so the Scriptures is very honest. Jehoshaphat, he's a good king. I mean, he's really doing some really neat things in that he's strengthening the nation um, spiritually as he's sending those Levites and priests throughout the cities with the book of the law. People are getting taught the word of God and, and, and the Lord is blessing him and he's strong. But here we see something in chapter 18 that again, that he makes a mistake here. That he misses the mark here. He makes this unwise alliance with Ahab. Now again, I told you that Ahab at this time, that he's the king up in northern you know, ten nations, or the ten tribes, uh, the house of Israel. And as you go back to First King, many of you know that Ahab was a terrible king. He was married to Jezebel, who really was the power behind the throne. She was a lot of times calling the shots, and you see that. But she was one that was a very violent woman, and she killed the prophets of God, and she tried to kill Elijah. You remember Elijah? Elijah, that he went on Mount Carmel. He ushered a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And Ahab and Jezebel were very much in the Baal worship. They built Samaria that ended up being the capital of the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel. And they were ones that built this, you know, big temple there in Samaria uh, dedicated to Baal. So Jezebel, she, after, you know, uh, there uh, on Mount Carmel, as Elijah, the fiery prophet, calls down fire from heaven, 
and consumes the sacrifice and the wood of the sacrifice, a great victory. And then he slews the prophets of Baal down below at the brook. And all of a sudden, Elijah gets word from Jezebel that, Elijah, I'm going to lop your head off tomorrow at this time. I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets of mine, the, the prophets of Baal. And Elijah got very frightened, and he ran down all the way to the mountain of God. And remember, as he ran to the mountain of God, that at first he stopped in the desert, Negev Desert, and he's asleep, and he's so down, he's so discouraged, and he's like, Lord, just take my life. Lord, just take my life. That's about as down as you can get. And the Lord said, Arise. As an angel came to him, arise and need Elijah, for the journey is long. And he goes down in the cave of the mountain of God, and we know that there was an earthquake, and there was a fire, and there was a mighty wind, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake, the Lord wasn't in the fire, the Lord wasn't in the mighty wind, but the still small voice of the Lord that spoke to Elijah, and I know that I've taught on this before, but I just want to reiterate it because it's so important. The journey is long for us, isn't it? And it's important that we know the word of the Lord. Sometimes we expect all this, you know, spectacular things to happen. You know, people will say, you know, how do you know that, you know, that the Lord's working? Or, Lord, you know, does he do, you know, you know, writing in the sky, you know, and all the spectacular things. Just knowing the word of the Lord, he'll speak to you and he'll guide you. Folks, the journey is long. And we need to be establishing God's word and that's what Jehoshaphat had done. He had established the nation in the word of God and they were strong, but all of a sudden he makes this unwise alliance with Ahab somehow and you remember he was a terrible king. And it says by marriage, what happened is he allows his son, Jehoram, that we're going to read about in a few chapters, to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And it was very bad news. And it's going to end up poisoning the whole house of Judah because of this alliance. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Listen. God's word is true. And here's Jehoshaphat. He's a godly king, and all of a sudden he compromised. Why did he do this? Why did he make this ungodly alliance? Why did he yoke himself, his family, to Ahab's family? I think he wanted to because he wanted to bring the nation together once again. And we're going to pick it up here next week. We don't have time to go through chapter 18. But it's going to be Ahab that says, okay, yoke with us in war, not only in marriage, because Jehoshaphat's going to go see his family. And Ahab and Jehoshaphat are going to go to war together, yoke themselves. But Jehoshaphat, when he's asked by Ahab, hey, come and join us. We need to take Ramoth-Gilead. Will you join us? Sure, I'll join you, Jehoshaphat says. We're as one. We're one people. We'll yoke with you. And you see, he compromised because I believe he wanted the nations to come together where there was unity. Here's the thing to remember. You can't accomplish God's will when there's compromise. And there are warnings given to us in the scripture, not so that the Lord will make your life boring. He wants to protect you. And he says, don't be yoked, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, that when it comes to you young ladies or young men, 
You make sure that you marry that godly spouse that God brings to you. You young ladies, that man is going to lead you and be strong spiritually for you. That you don't say, well, you know what? I think I'll marry him or marry her. They're not a believer, but eventually they'll become a believer. You're going to find that it's going to be difficult and hard. And heed God's word. Don't be unequally yoked together. What does light have with fellowship with darkness? When it comes to business partnerships, yoking together, you're joining together, and you're traveling down the road together, and this is what Jehoshaphat does, and it's going to end up being tragic for him. He's a man that loves the Lord, desires to seek the Lord, for the nation to know the Lord, but he compromised here because he wanted so badly for the nations to come together. So he says, you know what, son, marry Ahab's daughter and Jezebel's daughter. We'll make this alliance. Hey, we'll join together and war together. War is one, and it ends up coming back and has terrible consequences for him and for the nation as well. And that's why God warns us, because God loves us. And he says, don't do this. Don't go there. Don't be unequally yoked together because you're going to get hurt and you're going to get burnt. And you're going to find it's very difficult. May we walk in God's wisdom as we consider these things. And we'll pick it up here next time as we see that Jehoshaphat's going to join in with Ahab to go to war. And we're going to see some more important lessons. So come back as we pick it up here next time in chapter 18. And Father, we thank you so much as, Lord, we just are here and we we take in the scriptures. And I'm so thankful for, Father, what your word has to say to us. Lord, I'm so thankful for the truth of your word. That we can trust it, believe in it. And be strengthened by it. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here tonight that they've never yoked themselves with you. That is coming and surrendering their lives to you. God loves you and he proved his love to you. If you're here by chance, anybody here or out in the coffee shop, I know there's people out there. And I just pray that we all just be still here for a couple minutes that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he's provided forgiveness and eternal life for you. It only comes through Jesus. You can't save yourself. No one else can save you. A church can't save you. It's coming and believing in what Jesus Christ did for you and dying for your sins because, see, you're a sinner. The Bible says all of us sin. That's the problem. That's the bad news. And we've been separated from God because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he demonstrated his love for you that while you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. All of your sins were placed upon him and he cried out from the cross, it is finished. I paid the price for your sins as he bore all of your sins upon him. He shed his blood for forgiveness of sin, was put into a tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave. The tomb's empty. And he's alive knocking on the door of your heart, wanting you to open up your heart and let him in. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus and 
believe in your heart, the scripture says, and confess with your mouth that God raised them from the dead, you shall be saved. And saying that, Lord, I need you, the Savior of the world, to surrender my life to you. You can do that right where you're sitting. Will you pray this? Because today is the day of salvation. That Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I need to turn to you, surrender my life to you, and I do that at this moment. Please be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. You rose from the grave and you're alive and I now open my heart to you for you to come in and live in my heart. My life is not my own. And thank you for hearing my prayer and help me to be surrendered to you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer,